Welcome to the Do Something Beautiful podcast. I am your host, Leah Darrow, and I share with you inspirational people who are truly doing something beautiful to make our world better. This podcast is inspired by the words of St. Mother Teresa of Calcutta, who said, do something beautiful for God. Do it with your life. Do it every day. Do it in your own way, but do it. Well, hey there. Welcome back to season four, episode two of the Do Something Beautiful podcast. Friends, today's a good day. Today is a good day. You know those people in life where you meet and you, you know, you've never met before, but like you meet and you're like, oh man, I just met my best friend, right? Like this is the coolest person ever. But you can't say that to them because that's just weird. It's just totally weird. Especially when you're an adult. When you're an adult, you have to act like even cooler, you know, than you think sometimes, especially when it comes to friends. You can't just like hang out. Like when you're in grade school, you can go up to somebody and you can give them a big hug, even if they're a total stranger and you can tell them that you love them. And you're like, you're my best friend, man. You're my best friend. And they're like, yeah, me too. I love you too. And it's not weird. It's not weird. You can't do that as an adult. You can't like walk up to somebody who you have some similarities with and hug them and be like, you're my best friend. <laughs> you're my best friend. <laughs> it's just weird. It's just weird. So I did not do that with our guest today, Christina, the evangelista. So Christina, you might know her. Uh, she has a website called theevangelista.com. She is also the associate editor at Spoken Bride, a Catholic wedding website for brides and newlyweds. So if you or someone you know is getting married in the near future, check it out, spokenbride.com. Fantastic. And of course, you can find out everything about Christina, our guest today at theevangelista.com. So Christina is one of these women where if it was socially acceptable, I would walk up to her and give her a big hug and be like, you're my best friend. (laughs) You're my best friend. (laughs) Of course, I didn't. And I try to act as cool as possible when I was talking to her because, you know, you have to to try and act normal. I'm not even going for cool because that ship has sailed. I'm just trying to go for a little bit normal so people will at least answer my questions during the podcast. But Christina is a gal like that. We have a lot in common. We both got married when we were 33. We both felt like life was passing us by and God forgot about us. And oh my gosh, I'm not married yet. And everybody's going to get married and have kids. And I'm going to have a kid and I'm going to be like, 50 years old at their preschool graduation. Yeah, we we talk and we com- we talk about how we complained to God about how we created these crises in our life and we kind of laugh about it now. But we got married at the age of 33. She got pregnant 2 months later. I got pregnant 5 months later, so she's having her ba- her first baby. I think it's due at the end of this year. It's really really super exciting. So there's a lot of things that we have in common of kind of like how we started out with all of this. So we talk about the waiting game and we talk about playing the catch-up game. And that was really important to both of us because it like, it kept us frozen in this place of our life, playing this catch-up game, right? And maybe you're doing that right now, but you play this catch-up game and you end up not even living the life that you're called to live. And you're not even happy because you're always comparing yourself to somebody else. Comparing your life to someone else, which in the end is just ridiculous, right? It's like being a pineapple and just like looking at the mango, being like, man, I really want to be that mango, like ain't going to happen, right? It's not going to happen. So we talk about that. I'm not going to go into it right now because we do enough during the podcast. This is has been one of my favorite conversations with, it, it is just so fun. Christine is great. She's honest. She's vulnerable. She doesn't hide stuff. She's very talented. She's very well read. She's very smart. She's very beautiful. She's very kind. I really, really like her. 
she'd be the girl on the playground, be like, you're my best friend. But I didn't do that. Of course, now she hears me saying that now. So that's kind of awkward. I didn't really think about that before I started talking. But oh, well, it's out there now, people. And you know what? I don't got time to re-record this intro. So we're going to keep it. All right. So I'm going to stop talking. I'm going to let you enjoy this. And if you want to find out any more about how to contact Christina, just go to my show notes at leahdarrow.com. You can find out all of the links of where to contact Christina. You can go to theevangelisa.com. You can go to spokenbride.com. But don't worry about it right now. Just uh, listen to the podcast. Have some fun. Enjoy every a wonderful little golden nugget that she has to share with you about life, about relationships, about following God's will in her life, and just being happy and being at peace with where you're at right now. So without further ado, the beautiful, the wonderful, the charming, the kind, just the wonderful, wonderful lady she is. Christina, the Evangelista. Welcome back to the podcast. We have with us the beautiful, the talented, the fantastic Christina, the Evangelista. Hi, Leah. Hello. How are you? I am doing wonderfully. How are you? I'm I'm great. I'm so great. I have been following you for a while on Instagram, always very intrigued by everything that you post and especially... <laughs> the funny pieces with your pregnancy now. So I am super duper excited to introduce you to the listeners. You are, as I mentioned in my introduction, you're the associate editor for Spoken Bride. Yes. And then you are the woman, the evangelista for theevangelista.com, correct? That is correct. Okay. So tell me, what do you do in both of those places? Well, at Spoken Bride, I write original pieces, basically reflections on married life, newlywed life, because I've literally been married for seven months. So I obviously can't reflect that much. You're um, a total pro, right? <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm a total pro. Mostly I write about wedding related things, particularly related to the Catholic elements of marriage and what it looks like to get married in a Catholic church. So I've written articles on how to navigate the revised rite of marriage, how to write your own prayers of the faithful, how to make your program sort of an evangelical tool, things like that. So we have lots of different kinds of posts on Spoken Bride, but that's those are the kinds that I tend to gravitate toward. Spoken so, Bride is pretty amazing, I have to admit. Yes, it is. I'm really I'm very honored and proud to work there. And I think it's one of the one of the best things that's on the internet right now. And I'm so thankful that, and I know so many brides have benefited from it. I think a lot of people, at least from what I know, and just, I guess the few random like brides I meet along the way, a lot of people sometimes don't know about all of the resources out there. So I'm particularly excited to let them know about Spoken Bride because it is a wealth of knowledge when you are planning your wedding, because I mean, that's the only mass that you're able to plan and yeah. and have your final touch on. And maybe, I mean, maybe your funeral, but I mean, you're not really calling the shots there. <laughs> that's so very it, true. It's super important that that you take advantage of such a you know momentous occasion. And I remember when Ricky and I were planning our wedding, it was amazing to be able to write our own, you know, prayers of intentions, the prayers of the faithful. Oh, yeah. And it was powerful. And we wanted so much for our wedding to be this venue of evangelization. Yes, we did too. Absolutely. Yeah, it was so important. And a lot of Ricky's family is not Catholic and they're wonderful, faithful Christians. And so I wanted to just let them know that like, you know, there's common ground. And I wanted them to see the beauty of Catholicism, the beauty of the church, the yes. beauty of the mass. 
And so all of this, it's really neat when you have those tools that Spoken Bride gives to be able to incorporate them in your wedding. It just makes it so much more memorable when you know that like every little touch, every little song, every little reading that you and your spouse or soon to be spouse, your fiance have have picked out. So I just know congratulations, like way to go. Thank you for everything that you and Spoken Bride does for all of us ladies out there. Well, it's our pleasure. I know that Jaiza, who's one of the co-founders, she, you know, this was her vision for making a space on the internet. She's a photographer and making a space for Catholic vendors and brides to come together and, you know, really, because there's not anything like that out there that's so comprehensive, like Spoken Bride. I mean, you have secular websites like Style Me Pretty and Unbridled that are really pretty and have lots of information, but they're not coming from a Catholic perspective by any means. So, Right. And if you try and really find fun. out like how to put a Catholic wedding program together from the oh. com. Yeah, um, forget it. <laughs> like you've already lost the battle. Like yes. that's the worst place to go for wedding information, in my personal opinion. I there totally are, agree. There are some wild and crazy women on that site getting married, and <laughs> I would question a lot of things. But and trust me, I was on there at one point, and I was like, "What is happening to women yeah. in the world?" And so anyway, so it's great that you act. We actually have a place. A Catholic women do have a place to go to to get solid, great information that allows that process of planning your wedding to be more freeing and beautiful rather than stressful and demanding. Yes, absolutely. So yeah, that's what I do for Spoken Bride. And then my own blog, which I've had for, gosh, probably six years now, The Evangelista. It started out as me wanting to be a Catholic fashion blogger. (laughs) So I, the name came from Evangelist plus Fashionista. And since I was a high school theology teacher at the time, but I also really was into like fashion and, you know, cute clothes and stuff. It seemed pretty like the perfect name. And I stuck with it because it just became kind of, it was what, how people thought of me and my blog, but my blog isn't a fashion blog anymore because that became an occasion of sin for me. And it was not good for my soul (laughs) to be posting pictures of myself and outfits and feeling like I needed to buy new clothes all the time. So I still do really like dressing cute and, you know, wearing and like expressing my love for beauty through my clothes. But what I do now on my blog is I share my story of basically just what the Lord has done in my life and how he has helped me through my struggles with anxiety and depression, my eating disorder, through over a decade of being single as an adult. I just got married in December 2016 and I was I had just turned 33. So that was definitely not in my plan, but the Lord had different plans and I'm so thankful he did. But I basically just am very honest and real about, you know, the fact that even though I was teaching high school theology for nine years, really since I got out of grad school, I started teaching and this year has been the first year I haven't taught. So I've just been freelance writing. But even while I was doing that and speaking the truth to my students and and really meaning it, about God's love and his plan and all of that, I was, it was very difficult, like in my bones, I didn't really believe God loved me. I didn't really believe he had a plan for me that was worth waiting for. I thought I had to make things happen for myself. And that's how I got into lots of really bad relationships and, you know, just sank into worse and worse depression. And so I talked very openly about my going to therapy, which I'm a huge believer in. 
and even being on medication for my anxiety. I talk about just the strategies that I've learned through therapy and spiritual direction for dealing with, you know, trauma and emotional difficulty and also spiritual difficulties. So yeah, I think that, I mean, the comment I most often get from people when they email me or comment on my blog is that I'm very vulnerable, which is just funny to me because that was like my greatest fear for such a long time was being vulnerable. Mm -hmm. And I think the Lord has just given me a special grace to not be afraid to share these things because I feel so strongly that other people, especially other women, although I have male readers too, uh, they need to hear that it's okay to go to therapy. It's okay if you're Catholic to doubt God's love in you, like that love for you, that that is something that is you're not a bad Christian. If that happens, you know, you're not a bad Christian. If you go to therapy, you're not a bad Christian. If you're on medication and that it's okay (laughs) to struggle with these things and that you're not alone. So, yeah, I mean, I, I blog about all kinds of things, but that's kind of the main, I'd say the theme that sort of runs through most of my posts. Right. Yeah, no, and I that definitely comes through, obviously, when I read that as well, theevangelista.com, and you can find out all sorts of great stuff there as well. But, you know, you are, you're honest and you're vulnerable. And I can relate to that. I feel like I am as well. Yes, and you are. <laughs> I know that you're right. There is a grace that God gives us to be vulnerable and to be strong enough to share enough so that it like we're protected in some sense. And right. I think that... That vulnerability, though, that level of honesty within ourselves to look at our mishaps or our struggles or our wounds and to be able to share them, it opens up a pathway because we live in this world, especially more so today because we're so connected and we're so Mm -hmm. visual and we've got a million filters on our life and on our pictures that everything can look amazing. Everything can Mm -hmm. look perfect. And so when you see someone or hear someone talk about like the real struggles, that's attractive. That's very attractive. And I mean, you think about like what even Jesus did, right? In the gospels, he hung out with all these tax collectors and prostitutes and whatever. He hung out with the wounded. And so Mm -hmm. what did it attract? It attracted the wounded. It attracted Mm -hmm. those that we were saying like, hey, listen, if this preacher connect and speak to these who are obviously wounded or on the, you know, outcast of society or not looked well upon, then maybe I can belong as well. And so there's something beautiful about being open enough to allow people in so they can have a shared experience. And then hopefully we all find some healing and the only one who really can heal us. Right, exactly. And I think I've noticed that the more open I am, the more open other people are. And they it sets them free to be vulnerable and real just with themselves and with the Lord. And I think that's one of the great gifts of being willing to share our struggles, honestly. And I think there's a, you know, a, a tendency among some people in the, on the internet, basically, to do this confessional thing where you just like dump everything out there and just, you know, every single wound, every single struggle, every single skeleton in your closet, you just kind of, you know, it's like word vomit. And that that I don't think is healthy or helpful for for anyone. It's like kind of voyeuristic. Like we we like reading those things because they're juicy, but they're not actually helpful. 
you end up feeling kind of like you've trespassed a boundary that you shouldn't have trespassed, even though they put it out there themselves. Right. You feel uncomfortable listening or watching or reading. You're like, I don't think I should be reading this or watching this. Right. Right. And so I've been really, I've really tried to walk that line with being honest and vulnerable and real, but without oversharing. And I think that's, that's something that therapy has helped me with a lot. Yeah. I think for me, it always comes down to with every story I share of my own personal life or really any story I share in a talk or something. I always ask myself constantly, what's the point? Mm -hmm. What's the point? Why am I sharing this? Am I sharing it just to because it doesn't make me just sound good. And I just want to tell people something about me. And if that's the case, then you better pull that story right away. Yeah. Right. Like, and the goal of all of my talks, whenever I'm sharing stories, is to make sure that the what the point, that the answer to the what the point question is pointing towards Christ. Yes. I want to highlight Christ. So in my talking, whenever I speak on the gospel, whenever I'm doing those talks, my, I'm always asking myself the question, Leah, what's the point? Why are you sharing this story? And I, always want to make sure that I'm wrapping it and circling right back around to show them that like Christ is the answer. Jesus is the answer. So it's important when we are sharing that we're not just sharing for sharing sake in these public forums. I mean, you know, know, in those situations. Totally agree. So now you and I actually met kind of years and years ago, actually in Arizona, I think. In Arizona. Yeah, I was in 20, I think it was 2014. Yeah, I think it was October 2014 or something like that. You have an excellent memory. I have a very good memory. Yeah, I know. It's it's weird. But you also give tons of talks and I've only seen you once. So it's a lot easier for me to remember. No, I was pregnant then. I You were. I remember that. Yes. And I remember you looked super cute. And I was like, I really hope I look that good when I'm pregnant. <laughs> well, it was early in my pregnancy. Let's just be honest. Like I'm... <laughs> I'm one of those women, and there's plenty of pictures to validate this statement, I'm going to say, but I get ginormous when I'm pregnant. I'm just, my belly just decides to give like, I give my baby like a a huge hotel suite. Like there's, <laughs> there's, there's like a room in there. dining room and a kitchen and there's this, this is, it's a huge suite that I give my child to just hang out in. And I am so large. I'm always asked right around the seventh month of my pregnancy when I'm due or, oh my gosh, how fun is it that you're having twins? And I'm like, oh my gosh. Yeah. There's only one in that one yet, but (laughs) I'm waiting for that to happen. Well, I don't, are you familiar with Jackie Francois? Yeah. 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 Okay. So Jackie, Jackie's a perfect example of a, a woman that when I'm pregnant and if she's pregnant at the same time, I cannot look at pictures of her. I can't do it because like I get so frustrated because she's got the cutest little tiny volleyball that just mm-hmm. kind of hangs out in front of her. Yeah. She's so cute and pregnant and she, her little tummy's just right there. It's just this cute <laughs> little baby. And you're just like, oh my gosh, your little tiny tummy is so cute. And I look like a bloated hippo walking <laughs> down the road. <laughs> I mean, it's, I constantly look like I'm in labor the entire time I'm pregnant. Wow. Well, I don't remember that. So I'm not sure how far along you were, but you definitely <laughs> did early. not look like a gigantic hippo. No, I did not yet. It was very early in my pregnancy when I probably like just got the news the day before or something. Oh, <laughs> I doubt that. But you were, you were showing, but you definitely were still in like the 
I call it the cute stage of pregnancy because I yep. think even the women who, except for very few women who are just tiny all the way through, most women get to a point toward the end from my observation, and I'm not quite there yet, where you're just, I mean, it's so obvious that you need to give birth. Right, right. And it's just not as cute anymore. So I, I feel like feel I'm cute. getting closer to that point in pregnancy where it's just not cute. Um, yeah, I agree. There is that point where you just don't feel cute anymore. And other people might have a different view, but you being pregnant, yeah. it's just like, no, like the, I, I remember that stage and early in the, in, in the stages of me and my pregnancy where I was like, yeah, you know, this is cute and it's fun. And I like the little tops and they can show my belly. Mm-hmm. And then at the end, it was just like, I look like I've been stuffed inside of an old sweat sock and I just can't get out. <laughs> Yeah, I'm not looking forward to that. I'm just thankful that it's I'm due in November, so I'm thankful that I'm it's not gonna be as hot here when I'm at my biggest because right now it's so nasty outside and I'm just really thankful that I don't have as much extra weight to deal with because I would be dying and God bless the women who are pregnant right now in Texas who are, you know, in their ninth month or something because it's got a really oof, Yeah, God bless them. God bless them. So we were there. We met back in whatever year that was in the, in the, you probably know the exact day and time, but um, <laughs> back in 2014, correct? Yeah, I think that was you were awkward. speaking at a school that I was teaching at in right. Arizona. Mm-hmm. Right. And that was an all girls school, correct? No, it wasn't all girls. We just separated the girls and the boys for your talk. So you only spoke to the girls, but gotcha. it's a big school. So it definitely looks like it could be an all girls school. I think you spoke maybe the next day to another school that was all girls. That's also in that area. So I spoke to girls. Yeah. So yeah, there's a lot of girls there. So that was fun. So, so that was, that was that occasion. So you and I though, outside of our brief encounter back in Arizona, I believe and back in 2014, we actually have quite a bit in common. So we both kind of were late to the game in terms of marriage and kids. Yes. So you got married at 33 Mm-hmm. As did I. I was married. I turned 33 right before I got married as well. When I found that out, I was actually very encouraged back when I first met you. I was like, oh, okay. I'm not quite as freakish as I thought I was. <laughs> um, so I just want to say that really gave me hope to know that you got married, quote, later than the normal Catholic. Yeah. And that's kind of like what I really would love to talk to you about. And you've talked about this in a variety of different pieces on your blog on the Evangelista. And I really would love to hear your thoughts on it because there's this idea of playing this catch up game. Mm -hmm. And it's like, you always got to like, you know, especially when you're single and you're 28, 29, you're 30. Oh my God, you're 30. You're 30 and you're yeah. not married. You're 30 and you're not married. Oh, you're 31. Like your life's over, man. Now you're 31 and not married. Oh, you're 32. Oh, forget it. It's over. I mean, it's over. And yes. then, you know, it's just like you start looking at like, what am I going to do? Do I just do the whole like vowed virginity thing? <laughs> um, you just think life's over. You feel like you got to, yeah. you know, go and buy some cats and learn how to knit. <laughs> And, you know, studio apartments are the only thing acceptable. So that catch-up game that I know I struggled with, and I you've talked about you as well, it doesn't end when you get married. No. It just, you continually play this catch-up game in our life. And the problem with this catch-up game, and you, in variety of whatever it could be for a person who's listening right now, maybe you're already married. And you might still be playing the catch-up game. And I know I felt this and I still feel that tendency of playing catch-up 
with my married, you know, Christian friends who got married, you know, right out of college. They had the high school sweetheart. Like, how does that happen? But it does to some yeah. people. And they got married right out of college. Well, good for you. They had their first baby, you know, and they had like four babies before they even hit 30. Yep. That's my sister. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) Who are these people, right? We know these people. (laughs) I have a sister too who did the same thing. And I'm like, my gosh. And then you just feel like you're totally left out. And I felt like I was always going to be like all like I thought my my identity was going to be the fun aunt. I'll just be a fun aunt. Oh, yeah. Oh, I definitely went through the fun aunt phase. But it's the struggle of constantly playing catch up and like what that does to your psyche and your spiritual life is devastating. Yes. Yes. Because it comes from us. I think it comes from our sort of very manufactured or fabricated timeline that we think we must be on in order to be quote normal or in order to be, you know, effective mothers and wives or, you know, in order to be good witnesses or something like that. I mean, one of the things I struggled with was I didn't want people to think I was postponing marriage on purpose, like a lot of secular women do, because I was a career woman or something. And I, and it just, that was really a hard thing for me because it wasn't like I was trying to get married when I was in my thirties, which a lot of women purposely do now. Right. You know, they put marriage off until they're in their 30s. They put having kids off until they're in their 30s on purpose. And that was absolutely not me. And it's not any of my Catholic friends that I know who are still not married and in their 30s. But there was this concern of, oh, I don't want people to think that's what I'm doing. And because that's a bad witness, like I would have been fine getting married. I, you know, I wanted to get married when I was 22. It just didn't happen. And you know, that was, so I had to struggle with that. And then there was also this sense of like, I'm running out of time. I'm running out of time. I am going to, you know, not going to be fertile or I'm going to be too old to have kids or my, my kids, when my kids are teenagers, I'm going to be like 60. And, you know, all these things that I was, I was just obsessive about were really the creation of my own mind and not from God at all. And I started praying this litany of patience that I wrote, I actually posted it on my blog. And one of the parts of the litany is from the fear of running out of time, deliver me, oh Jesus. And Mm. I still pray that because now that I'm pregnant with my first child at 33, I'm thinking I'm like mentally calculating how old I'm going to be when, you know, he's 20 or how old I'm going to be when, if I have another child, (laughs) when they're, you know, unless I, yeah. So it's just really easy to get stuck in these ideas we have about what our life is supposed to look like. And so much of that comes from comparing ourselves to the people we love, to the people around us, to the women. I mean, I have friends who have five and six kids and they're going to be 40 when their oldest kid is going to college. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I am so not going to be there. You know, it's just going to be totally different. So that's, yeah, it's absolutely a struggle. And I think it mostly is a self-made struggle. said something that really, it was simple, but it really struck a chord with me. You were, you just had said that, you know, your friends have kids who they're going to be 40 when they go off to college and how that's just going to be different for you. And there's something that we have to be okay with in our lives of just being different. Yeah. Um, I mean, we are set apart just because of our faith. Um, right. We're set apart. 
but also realizing that God has a plan that's different for every single person. Yes. And so that is good. That is a good thing. But it's very frustrating, of course, when we're living it and we're the ones really feeling like we're playing catch up. Or, and so the problem with this catch up game, in my opinion, at least I know the uh, the negative effects that it's had on me personally. And you tell me if this resonates with you. But one, it playing the catch up game for me creates this feeling that I'm never good enough. Mm. I'm never good enough. I'm never going to be as good as that wife or that mom because I'm just not there because I didn't. And then it makes me go back and live in the past. Well, if I didn't mm-hmm. screw up in my past, maybe I could have gotten married sooner. So then, and then I am living in a world that literally does not exist. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Story of my life. <laughs> Absolutely. The temptation to live in the past and to say, well, what if I had done this? What if I had done that? If only I had done this, if only I had done that is so strong. And it's such a temptation for me. And it's totally from the pit of hell because it it, it steals our joy in the present and also prevents us from being grateful, which I think the lack, the, when I find myself bemoaning something that I don't have or that I won't have because of something that I perceive in my past, I see so easily how the devil gets in there and tries to keep us from being grateful for the gift of whatever God has given us right now. And I've been so thankful and so happy in my marriage these past seven months. And whenever I start to get sad about the fact that I'm already 33 or that my husband is older as well, you know, or about the the years that I feel like the locusts have eaten in the biblical phrase in my past, whenever I start to get down about that, I have to remind myself that all of that was part of now because I wouldn't be married to Christian now if it weren't for everything that was in the past that the Lord used and transformed. And not to say that I go back and do it all over again, because I right. definitely wouldn't, but right. the Lord still used it and the Lord still worked with it. And if I am thankful for where I am now, then that means I need to say, okay, I don't love everything about the past but I'm still thankful for it because the Lord was there too. And he was using it even when I didn't realize it. Amen. And I think that's what gets back to what you were saying before about this comparison that never feeling good enough. That's the comparison that we end up putting ourselves in. And as you mentioned as well, it steals our joy. So when, cause life's not about comparison, it's about contribution. Mm. And when we, live a life of comparison, it stills our joy, but it also stills our contribution that we could give to the world if we were more grateful for what God has done in our life, if we were more grateful and thankful for the life that we have now and living that life now. So it just, it's it's a vicious cycle once you get in there. And I mean, I think if anybody's honest, they've got to be able to admit that I'm sure we all have, I'm sure we all have had been in that like comparison downward spiral. We're comparing ourselves to somebody else for whatever reason it might be. But especially when you're playing the catch-up game, looking at other people's lives. And I'm just here thinking, I can't believe I'm comparing myself to my girlfriends who are married to these guys thinking like, that's not my life. That's their life. I I can't compare myself to something so different than what God's calling me to. But but I think that that catch-up game does that. Another thing the catch-up game does, in my opinion, is that for me, whenever I was playing it, 
I was living someone else's dream. I was living someone else's life. Like I was playing catch up with this certain idea of what I thought either I should have or what God should give me or actually someone else's life that I wanted it to look just like. Mm -hmm. And now that I'm actually married with kids now, and that's the catch up game I was playing mostly in my own personal life. I realize it, it's so different. I was living, I was living someone else's dream. Yeah. And that's never going to be satisfying. No. no. (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, I, when my sister got engaged, she was 22 or 21 when she got engaged senior year of college. And I was 25 at the time and I still had never had a boyfriend, never been kissed. I mean, I was a very late bloomer in a lot of ways and I panicked and I thought, Oh my gosh, she is living my dream. Like this is what I was supposed to do. I was supposed to get married right out of college. And she'd been kind of the the sibling that I always thought would get married later because she was, you know, she dated a lot of guys and she was always very popular. And she, you know, she just, but she ended up being the first one. She ended up being the one who met her future husband in college and getting married right away. And So that was a real surprise to me because I was like, wait, no, that's what I'm supposed to do. That was my plan. (laughs) And how is it that she's getting that now? And so I freaked out and I, I basically got into a relationship simply out of that fear that I needed to live that, like I needed that now. And I didn't want to be the Spencer oldest sister who everyone felt sorry for at my sister's wedding. And so I started dating this guy who I knew liked me and I wasn't really that interested in, but I was like, I could probably, you know, I could make that happen if I really wanted it to. And maybe, and maybe something could work (laughs) out, you know, maybe I really do like him deep down. I'm just denying my, I mean, it's amazing. The intellectual gymnastics I did to, to get myself to get in this relationship and it ended up being the worst three months of my life. He was so emotionally and verbally abusive and it scarred me very, very deeply. And there were so many times during those three months where I was like, this isn't good. I need to get out. But because I was so afraid of people thinking, what's the matter with her? She's 25. She's never dated anyone. And now she just broke up with her first boyfriend after like a month. You know, what is the deal? She can't, I mean, obviously no wonder she's not married. Like there was, it was just so, I was so afraid of the judgment of other people. I was so afraid that if I let him go, even though he was awful to me, that that was it for me. Right. <laughs> At the age of 25, I was done. There was no way anything would ever come again. I mean, it was just, I was so afraid that God really didn't love me enough. That fear is crippling. You know, mm-hmm. when we have that fear and when we make decisions out of fear, yes, uh, never a good idea ever. No, 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 <laughs> not a good idea. And we know that now, I mean, but it, sometimes it's, it's hard to remind ourselves that that's what we're doing in those moments because it's almost like a knee jerk reaction. You are scared. You're fearful of like, Oh my gosh, what look at all that I don't have. And you don't feel like you belong. So you rush to find that belonging and whatever it is, a person or a thing. And those, those never end up working out. No, no. And they end up leaving you feeling worse than you did before. That's certainly what I experienced. I mean, I've, I've never, that was the darkest depression after that relationship was over, I've ever been in. And it led to some even more destructive decisions that I made following the relationship because I was just in such a bad place. And instead of going to therapy, which is what I wish I had done, I, you know, tried to manage my depression 
in all kinds of other ways that were not healthy and including getting in other relationships that weren't healthy. So it was just, it was a vicious circle that fear was feeding constantly. And it took a long time for me to finally admit that that's what I was doing and to let the Lord come in and get the help and the healing that I needed. Christina, do you think that if a person finds themselves playing that catch-up game, if they're single and they just feel like, oh, it's never going to happen. They're always comparing and they're just looking at others who are married mm-hmm. and, and feeling left out and just kind of that self-loathing. And in their prayer life, it's always just constantly, in a sense, nagging God. Why am I not married? Why yes. am I not married? And I only say that from experience. So like not, <laughs> trying, to hurt, not trying to hurt feelings here, people, but that's, that's definitely what I was just doing. I was just like crying <laughs> to God, like you forgot me. Like I'm like, for like I was Israel in the desert, you know? Or yeah. Something. You feel like a vocational orphan. Absolutely. And feel like the oldest person on the planet, you know, like there's just <laughs> like, I am terribly old. Like I'm going to wilt away. Um, But like, so say like, what would your advice be for a young woman or an old woman or whomever, just a person who's in that stage of waiting, which I don't like that stage of even calling it that, but you feel like it. You feel like you're yeah. just in a waiting room and you feel like you're waiting for something to happen. You are kind of playing that catch-up game because you're definitely comparing yourself. Like, do you think at that stage, like that not dating or taking time off is a good idea to reboot? Or like, like what would you say to somebody mm-hmm. in that spot right now? I would say that the first and most important thing when you're in that place is to really examine your relationship with Christ and to see and look honestly at whether or not you've made an idol out of whatever it is you're waiting for, if it's marriage or children or what have you, because that's what I did for so long. And it made me miserable because you can't, anytime you put something that's not God in God's place in your life, you will be, I mean, it will just destroy you. So really look at yourself honestly and say, is this something that I have made an idol out of? Do I think this is what's going to make me happy? Because even if you get it, if that's how you're thinking about marriage, you will be miserable. Right. Because if you're miserable as a single person, you'll probably be miserable as a married person. Exactly. And so for me, the biggest, aside from therapy, which I can't recommend highly enough, going like really looking at my relationship with the Lord and saying, I don't know you. I don't know your love the way that I want to. And so I'm trying to replace it with all these other things. And this was something that I learned through therapy and through spiritual direction, that that's what I was doing. And and so I started to change the way that I prayed, change the way that I approached my relationship with the Lord. I started to really be honest and real with him in prayer instead of trying to make my prayer sound really pious and beautiful all the time, I started to share my feelings with him to tell him I was angry, to tell him I was disappointed, to tell him everything and really built that intimacy with him. And that was transformative. It helped me because I, I would say, and this is something I said in my talk at the Adele gathering last weekend, and I posted it on my blog yesterday. I for so long, waiting was a self-made cross for me. It was a cross that I manufactured for myself and it felt heavier because I had created it. I wasn't waiting in joyful hope. I wasn't waiting with hope of for my future. Not in the sense that like waiting, knowing for sure that God was going to give me what I wanted, but 
waiting, knowing for sure that no matter what happened, God loves me and he's taking care of me and my life is good and beautiful. And so I wasn't waiting in that way at all. I was waiting with clasping and and clawing and trying to make things happen for myself. And it wasn't until I let go, I learned to really be real with Christ in prayer, to really spend time in silence with him without any distractions, without any books, without anything to, you know, go to and to be honest with him. And when I started to build that intimacy with him and it took, you know, several months of praying more than I've ever prayed in my life in terms of time and, and not like praying the liturgy of the hours, like journaling, talking to him, just telling him everything that was going on. It was through that process of building that intimacy that I was able to let go of my fear of not getting married and to let go of the idol that I had made of marriage and to really accept that no matter what, maybe I'll be single for the rest of my life. Maybe, you know, something crazy will happen and I'll be called to the religious life. Maybe, you know, I'll die really young. I mean, who knows? But I got to the point, honestly got to the point through that prayer and intimacy and healing that I received also in therapy where I was like, you know what? It's okay. If I don't get married, my life is still good. My life is still beautiful because I am loved by Jesus. Amen and to that. he is my, he is always going to be the only one who can satisfy me no matter what. And I, of course, believed that intellectually. And that's what I told my students. No human being can satisfy you, blah, 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 blah. But I didn't really believe it until I started to actually go to him first. Before I went to anyone else, I went to Jesus. And I still, you know, I mean, my husband is such an instrument of Christ's love in my life, but he's not Jesus. Jesus is still the one I go to first. Right. And I am so thankful that I got to that place before I got married because I know so many women who didn't and who had to learn that in the midst of being married and having kids. And it's a very painful lesson. It's a painful lesson to learn anywhere in life. But I think when you have, when you're married and already have kids, it's, there's a different kind of sort of struggle that comes with letting go of those idols. And I'm just, I feel so incredibly blessed that the Lord allowed me to see that before Christian entered my life. It wasn't very long before, but it was before. Right. (laughs) And so thankful for that. So that that would be what I would say. I'd say just really go deep with the Lord before you do anything else, before you date someone else, before, I mean, anything. When it comes down to it, I found, at least for me, that it was a question of trust. Oh my gosh, absolutely. And I think back to the book of Daniel and the story of the three guys, you know, who King Nebuchadnezzar is going to throw into the furnace because they're not going to bow down whenever the horns blow and to the golden calf. And King Nebuchadnezzar is like, you know, I'm going to throw you in the furnace. And they end up saying, listen, if our God whom we believe in saves us from the fiery furnace, we will praise the Lord. But if our God who we believe in does not and we burn, we will still praise the Lord. Yeah. Huh. Paraphrasing wow. that. Uh, yeah, that's that is, that's authentic trust. That's for sure. So you know, it's just kind of like, will I praise the Lord when everything's great in my life, when I'm given all that I want? Or am mm-hmm. I only praising the Lord? Am I only super strong in my faith when I get things? Or am I going to praise the Lord when I'm struggling? Will I praise the Lord while the vocation that God's put on my heart is not fulfilled? 
Well, I yeah. praise the Lord in those moments. And for me, I constantly had to ask myself that question. I'm like, Leah, how little do you love him if you only are happy or are only, you know, full of life in your faith when things are going well? And it was a massive oh, yeah. come to Jesus moment for me to deal with that in my own life of like, oh my gosh, like, I don't trust you enough, Lord. I trust my plan and I want you to conform mm -hmm. to Leah's will. And oh, yeah. that was a huge turning point for me. Yes. And in, as one of my spiritual directors, I've had many very good ones, but one of them said to me, you can't trust someone if you don't believe they love you. And that hit me like a ton of bricks because it, I realized I don't trust him because I really don't believe he loves me. And I had to ask Jesus to make me know his love in such a way that it was like, I could believe it with every fiber of my being, not just intellectually. And when I started asking him for that, authentically asking him for that, and I was on medication and my, my mind was clear enough to be able to apprehend reality. He started to reveal it to me. And I mean, he had already been revealing it to me my whole life, but I started to be able to see it and really, really see it and embrace it. And so I was in the best place of my life before I even met Christian because I had come to a place where I believed, not perfectly, but I did believe in Jesus' love for me. And I believed his plan was better than mine. And I had lots of evidence that my plan sucks. So <laughs> it wasn't that hard <laughs> to believe. Oh, it's so, that's so true, man. Our plans totally suck. And it just, it's a freeing place when you can honestly admit that. And you're like, yeah, no, my to-do list is, is just about the worst. I mean, God looks at it, I know, and is just shaking his head. Like, you, will you ever learn? Like, like, stop it. Stop writing things down. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I think there's something really, really beautiful about what you were saying about like allowing Christ to love you. And that can be so hard. And like you, I had a spiritual director when I was single and, you know, just being like waiting for, you know, who I didn't know. It ended up being Ricky, obviously, waiting mm -hmm. for my husband to walk into my life and blah, blah, blah. And I was just yeah. having this moment. I was having a vocational crisis, which it was completely, as you'd mentioned, for me, also self-made. And mm -hmm. this was something for me that I'll never forget. But my spiritual director told me, he's like, Leah, and I was crying in the confessional, like, oh, I just feel like blah, 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 blah. Oh, so times. <laughs> God's forgotten me. And I want so badly to have babies. And if I don't have them in the next few years, like the window might be shut down. I don't know what my fertility is going to do. It's, it's possible. You know, I'm, I'm creating oh, yeah. fertility problems that I don't even have. Oh, my gosh. I've so been there. <laughs> It's ridiculous how much our imaginations can, I mean, I am, it it's really horrible. Is. So I'm creating all these problems and my spiritual director ended up stopping me. Thank God. And he's like, <laughs> you just have to stop talking right now. And I was crying. I'm like, okay, okay. Waiting for him to like, give me like this, you know, nice pat on the back and being like, it's okay. God loves yeah. you. And mm -hmm. you're going to be all right. And, you know, to like speak there in that space. And God spoke through this man, this priest, because he looked at me and he just said, Leah, you've made your vocation your God. Oh, yeah. Those words, I'll never forget them. He's like, you've made your hope for your vocation. You've made this idea of getting married. You've made that bigger than God himself. 
you're so focused on vocation and getting married and having these babies that you aren't even paying attention to God in your life and his love for you and what he wants to do in your life right now, which kind of gets to like this third point that I was going to talk about with playing the catch up game. And we had talked about how like it can make you feel like you're never good enough. It can also make you feel like you're living someone else's dream or life. And the third thing is that playing this catch up game in your life limits freedom to enjoy your now. Oh, yeah, it totally does. Because I look back now and I'm like, man, I had so, so many good things going for me when I was single. I mean, so many wonderful experiences. I got to travel. I got to teach more than a thousand high school kids about Jesus. I had, I built all these beautiful relationships with my students. I was able to, you know, enjoy my summers and read tons of good books and develop relationships with my siblings and my nieces and all these beautiful things. And there were moments, they were few and far between. There were moments where I enjoyed that and I really appreciated it. But I feel like I didn't start to enjoy my single life and really embrace it until like six months before I got married. (laughs) Right. Until like it's practically gone. And I'm sure, I'm sure most mothers can relate to this. I look back on my life when I was married before babies, which was a very short lived time in my life. It was only five months for me. But and for you, it was even shorter, shorter, two months for me, two months and got pregnant after you being married. But I look back on my single life. I look back on my newly married state and I want to kick myself in the butt. I want to do like fight club with my past self (laughs) and be like, I'm going to take you to a room and beat the crap out of you because. If I hear my past self say one more time, I don't have any time. Oh my gosh. There's just so much to do. And I'm like, shut up, Leah. Shut up. You have no (laughs) idea what's coming. Talking about. Yes. (laughs) Yes. And I'm not, I don't have babies outside the womb yet. So I'm still in that stage where I'm tempted to say I'm busy when I'm like, oh my gosh, this is hilarious. I have some perspective because. I have siblings and close friends who have kids. And so I know how busy their lives are. But oh my gosh, yeah, I would love to kick my former self in the butt. Yes. Yeah. There's I mean, for me at this point, personal hygiene is now a goal. Uh, (laughs) It used to be a daily checklist like, yep, brush my teeth. Yes, I took a shower. Yes, I shaved my legs. Now I'm like, well, it's a goal. And if it doesn't happen, that's okay. I'll try that's again okay. tomorrow. I'm going to let go. I'm going to let go of that. <laughs> and that's, <laughs> I, I'm like, every once in a while, right, you know, these past few months, I've been, you know, when I'm, I'm looking in the mirror, I'm doing my makeup. I'm like, this is so nice. I can do this. No one's bothering me. It's quiet. Nobody There's watches you while, while, while you pee. It's amazing yeah, the things that you can do single. By myself. I can shower without any worries. I mean, there, I can go to mass and just in, and like really be present in the mass and hear the homily and be there for the whole thing and remember the readings afterwards. I mean, these are things that I'm thankful to my married friends for telling me to enjoy because I would never have thought to enjoy them because to me, they just seem like normal things, especially after being single for, you know, 13 years of my adult life. That's just normal. But I know that's not going to be normal. <laughs> very soon. And I'm trying to appreciate it more now, you know, that I, that I, well, I can. 
Yeah. And I think that would be something that I would recommend for anybody listening. Like if you are single and, and you're not married and you don't have those kids yet, and that's if that's what's on your heart and that's what you want, and that's what God is calling you to enjoy your now and be grateful for that time that you have, that God is allowing you this beautiful, in a sense, honeymoon just with him. Yeah. Um, to listen to deeply and attentively of what the Lord is wanting in your life and doing in your life and speaking into your life. He definitely will not abandon you when you're married and nor abandon you when you have kids. But it's a different time and focus and a different way that you respond to that. And so there's something special about that period of singlehood where you oh, yeah. are in a sense on this like honeymoon with, with God with that just one-on-one time with him. It's like you get to experience something of a consecrated life without actually being consecrated. And that's one of the difficulties of being single. But it's also one of the beautiful things about being single that you do get to have all this time just with you and the Lord. And it can feel very lonely to be a mass by yourself or to, you know, be an adoration late at night or something like that. But when you get to a point where you can live that time and really appreciate it when you're in a place of trusting the Lord and his timing. It's so, so wonderful Mm -hmm. to realize what a, what a treasure that is. And I had women come up to me after my talk this past weekend and say, I loved what you said. I loved your story. I just wish that I had the time right now to spend with the Lord in prayer and really get real with him. And I wish I could go to adoration. I wish I could pray three times a day for 20 minutes each. You know, I wish I had, and but I have kids and they're all under five and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I was just like, oh my gosh. Okay, Christina, let's take some stock here of how blessed you are that you got to experience that. And all that time I wasted thinking, oh, I'm not married. I wish I were married. I wish I had kids. I'm a freak. You know, I was getting to live something that so many other people wish that they had had the opportunity to do, you know, and Mm. I didn't appreciate it as much as I wish I had. Mm. So, you know, we've been talking about playing the catch up game with marriage and with having kids and, and seeing other people in our own life or and sometimes we don't even like know them. We just like know that they're out there. So, oh, yeah. <laughs> we're just playing catch up to these imaginary or just unknowns, anonymous people who are like married before Rogers. Yeah, kids before us and their lives seem to be fantastically perfect and together and their tables are always set and their home is clean and kids are their always Instagram pictures know, are really pretty. Yes, absolutely. It's just, there's just a a plethora of, I don't know, it's like a Pinterest life. And I just loathe Pinterest with a passion. Um, I know some (laughs) people love it. I don't use Pinterest anymore for that reason, because it was too much of a temptation for me. I still have my boards out there for the world if they want to use them, but I never, ever go on it. Same here. I actually at one point had a, 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 you know, account and I think it's still up and there's boards still up there. But I realized for me, and I'd venture to say for most people, it is all about comparison. Oh, yeah. I mean, and I know people say, but I get inspiration. You are inspired to compare. That's what you're doing. (laughs) Yeah, it's real hard to keep that, you know, that comparison demon at bay when you're on Pinterest. Really difficult. Yeah, I just I anyways, I think that it's a scary place to go. 
for a lot of things, whether you're trying to figure out how to decorate your home or you're trying to figure out what to do for your baby's first birthday, which by the way, oh my gosh, right. Like (laughs) they don't care just for the record. I remember on all of my kids first birthday, I got a babysitter and Ricky and I went out and had drinks because I was like, praise be to God. That is a great idea. We kept the kid alive for a year. You know, we kept the kid alive for a year. That makes so much more sense to me. I listen, we need a pat on the back. So that's what we we did. I did not do some crazy thing. And we just took ourselves out because somebody needed to say to one of us, hey, listen, good job. You did it. Yeah. You did it for absolutely. a year. Absolutely. You kept a baby for a lo- alive for one year. That is a huge accomplishment. For and most people that's longer than their cell phone carrier relationship. So yeah, true, true. And I think the same thing goes for weddings. And I mean, I know Spoken Bride has Pinterest boards and that's great. And for some women, that's a really important part of their wedding planning. But I am actually going to write a post on why I didn't use Pinterest when I planned my wedding, because it would have been, first of all, I'm extremely opinionated. I already knew what I wanted. But secondly, I knew that if I went on there, I would just start to be sad about the things I thought I needed that I couldn't have or that weren't in the budget or my wedding wasn't as beautiful as that person's wedding or, you know, whatever. And so I just was like, I'm not even going to touch that because that's already a temptation for me. I know myself well enough. Bad idea. I think it's probably a bad idea for a lot of us. I mean, I I think so I make too. a lot of broad statements on this podcast, but I do I do <laughs> think so. I do think so. And let me tell you something. If you are absolutely against that statement, then maybe you should check yourself because yeah. It can dominate your day and your life to always be going back and to figure out what you should be doing. And and also, it just makes you constantly search like, maybe I don't know, maybe it's not the best. Maybe what I have is not good enough. I need to look for something else. So just feeding into those things we've already talked about of living someone else's dream and not finding joy in what you have right now, being grateful for already what you have and always feeling like you're not good enough. I think all that goes back to like what we've been talking about playing this catch-up game. I wanted to talk about another aspect of playing the catch-up game that we haven't talked about yet. And I think that it's really important because I find this personally in a lot of times in people that I have spoken to after the talks that I give around the country. But it's really playing the catch-up game when it comes to our faith. Like when you have a late conversion. Oh, wow. Yeah. And the ketchup that you're feeling like and not feeling like you belong prior to that, which may have kept you from fully like, you know, doubling down for the whole God thing or not. But for those who've had that late conversion and they're just coming to their faith, it can be really intimidating to kind of jump in when you feel like you're just not there where other people are at. Oh, I can absolutely see that. And I've seen it with friends and family members and students too. And I think Satan uses that catch up game mentality to keep people from the church, to keep people from coming to the Lord, because I've had students who are like, I, you know, Miss Dehan, that was my maiden name. I'm too far gone. I've already made too many mistakes. There's no way I can come back. There's no way I can you know, really live this Catholic life. Like I've just, I've gone too far, you know, and there's no way anyone will ever believe I'm really changed or that I've ever, that I'm really 
you know, faithful. People are going to call me a hypocrite. People are going to say I'm not, you know, not legit, whatever. And I always tried to communicate to them, no, that that's a lie. That's from Satan. God's mercy is infinite. And you are just as important to the church as someone who's been faithful their whole life. But it's a really, really tough thing because I think we have, because I think that mentality, like I need to be perfect in order to be loved is so, so prevalent. And it's something I've struggled with on a different level because I've been, you know, in the church, quote unquote, my whole life. But I've had my own struggles where I felt like a fraud because I wasn't perfect. And, you know, I'm supposed to be because I'm the high school theology teacher and everyone, you know, looks up to me and thinks that I'm like super saintly. But I know myself and I know that's not true. And I'm always trying to tell people I'm not really perfect, but they're like, okay, Ms. Dehan, whatever you say, you know. And so to really communicate that you don't have to, quote, catch up before you can be loved or before you can be received into the church is, I mean, I think that's a real challenge for evangelization, especially among teenagers, young people who just feel like there's no way God could love me if he knew what I have done you know. Right. Yeah. And the, the, the beauty and the irony is that God looks at us and all of our, all of our wounds and all of our sins and loves us regardless. Yeah. And he's completely past that. And while we identify sometimes with our sins, Christ does not. No, that is huge. That's so huge. It's, it's so hard to believe. It is hard. <laughs> it, it is. It's hard for the person preaching that message. It's hard for the person listening to that message. It's mm-hmm. it's hard for every single person because, because that's the gospel and the gospel is good news. And it's hard for us to sometimes see the good in us, the good that yes. God sees. And it's just, you want to see the good in somebody else, or maybe you already do, but then to look at yourself and to say, I am very good is hard. Oh it's my gosh. Hard. Yes. Yes, it is. But there's a beauty in that. There's a beauty that comes in all of it. And I'm sure if I could have married Ricky sooner, of course I would have, but that's just not the way my life has had. If I could have my fantastic kids sooner, of course I would have, but that's not the way my life had worked out. And if I could have had my conversion sooner, of course I would, but that's not the way my life had turned out. And so whatever it might be, the, you know, late marriage or late kids or even a late, you know, coming to faith, late conversion, Christ is there in it and working yes. in it and will make good in all of it. Mm. And there's something really beautiful about that. I love how much you talk about that. Now, you've mentioned a few times already, and I wanted to make sure that I mention it again. There's a great resource that we can give all the listeners um, right now, currently, at this point, there's just a transcript that's available on your blog, correct? Of yes. your talk that you gave at the Adele Gathering 2017. And yes. soon there will be an audio version of that talk available. Yes. And I will post it on my Facebook page, which is just the Evangelista. And I'll, I'm sure I'll link to it on my Instagram. And yeah, it's called The Waiting is the Cross. And it's about a lot of the things I've talked about today on the podcast. It just goes into more detail about my story. And what I was really struck by was how many women who were already married and had kids who came up to me afterwards and were like, your talk spoke to me so so deeply. And I was like, oh, well, I guess waiting is kind of a universal thing. Go figure. And but it was a real, it was really beautiful to see how the Lord can use. That's the other thing is that when we're focused on the catch up game, we don't think about how the Lord could possibly use 
what it is that we're going through right now for his glory and what, how he could use it to bless others. I never would have known, never could have conceived how much the Lord would use my suffering to help and to bless others, but he has. And that's you and me both, a sister. beautiful thing. You and me both. Absolutely. I can obviously um, relate to that quite deeply. So, okay, Christina, so many good things to hear from you. Let me ask you something. Would you be willing now, um, I want to give the listeners a challenge from you. <laughs> and I, sure. And I, I did not, just so you all know, I did not warn her about this previously. So we'll just see what the Holy Spirit does. But could you give me and the listeners a challenge based on what we've been talking about today to kind of take this and move forward with our life? Yeah. My challenge would be to the next time you go to prayer, to sit down and ask the Lord to show you the reality, the truth about your own, the idols that you've made, whatever idols that you're clinging to, especially related to your vocation, to anything that you're waiting for, and ask him to purify you of that and to, to speak to your heart in a new way. And I think for me, the best way to do this is through journaling, but it might not be your preferred method. I just find that my thoughts become clearer when I write them out and really take that as like the springboard for sort of the next stage in your relationship with the Lord. And having a spiritual director can really help with this. But I think just going to adoration or going to a chapel or even just being in your room and saying, all right, Lord, I'm sure I have them. Please help me see what what are my idols? What are the things I'm clinging to? that are preventing me from really trusting you, trusting your love and enjoying and appreciating where I am right now. That would be my challenge. I love it. That's you did not go light on that at all. (laughs) I never do. (laughs) Ask my students. They would tell you. (laughs) Oh my gosh. That's fantastic. Christina, I cannot thank you enough for many things. I, as many people already tell you, but Thank you for being so honest and vulnerable with your life and with how God is using it to help others. It's helped me personally in many different ways through a lot of different pieces that I've read on your blog. One in particular that I'm going to throw out there, we didn't get a chance to talk about, but one thing that you wrote recently on your blog, uh, theevangelista.com, was about what you were struggling with in terms of being pregnant and gaining weight and some of that. And uh, there yeah. was there was a piece in there that I read that really inspired me. And it says that you do not own a scale. I do not own a scale. And that you no, have not I, weighed yourself since you were a senior in high school. That is true. And whenever I go to the doctor, if they ask me to get on the scale, I do it backwards and I tell them not to tell me how much I weigh. And I haven't been weighed once this entire pregnancy. I love it. I mean, I'm yeah. smiling over here just like, <laughs> I'm so inspired. I'm like, oh my gosh, that's my new hero. Like, wow, like how tied we are to so many silly things like numbers or a scale. And anyways, but I guess I just, that's just one example of like a lot of different things like that you might not realize, but small things that are, that are changing people's lives and changing and allowing them to be free of some of these idols or these restraints as keeping them from living a life of joy and living a life filled with the Holy Spirit. And so you do it in so many different ways, but you do it so beautifully. And what you're doing really is adding so much beauty to the world and your honesty and sharing your life with us. So, so thank you for that. Praise like, God. thank you so much. Yeah, absolutely. Praise God. But thank you too. You're welcome. You're welcome. It's, so, it's a privilege. It is. It is. No matter what you do with the Lord, it's always a privilege, but I'm so happy that you've 
that you've answered that call to do it. We can we can find out more from you if we go to the evangelista.com and then spokenbride.com where you're the associate yeah. editor. Anything else that you want to tell us of how we can connect with you? Instagram is one of my favorite ways to connect with people. So I'm I'm at the evangelista on Instagram. And I also am really good. I try to be really good about answering messages on Facebook and emails. So if you want to email me, my email is the evangelista, but it has two A's at the end because someone apparently took the other, like the actual evangelista email. So I just stuck another A on there. And so it's the evangelista with an extra A at gmail.com. And I usually can't get back to people, you know, immediately, but I try to get back to them in a timely manner. And I'm always, always, always available to take prayer requests. I love praying for people. I love praying for others. And I especially love praying for my readers who are going through similar things to what I've gone through, because I feel that pain so deeply and I know it so well. And I feel like I'm in a a particularly good place to pray for those intentions. So I, I try to make myself available for that as much as I can. Awesome. Well, please add all of the listeners of the Do Something Beautiful podcast to your prayer list, if you don't mind. I absolutely will. I know we all would really love that. And speaking of that, thank you. Thank you for listening to the Do Something Beautiful podcast. I absolutely am thrilled to see how many people are enjoying it because there are so many great people that I get to talk to who are really bringing true beauty to the world. So thank you for your support and for listening. And to please just do us a favor and go to iTunes and give us that review five stars and leave a review there. That really helps our visibility on iTunes. And I want as many people as possible to listen to the podcast because these are amazing people who are doing wonderful, beautiful things in the world and they inspire us to do inspiring things. So more people can be inspired. Go ahead when you have a second, um, when you're finished with this podcast and go to iTunes and leave us a review, please. And as always, whatever you do today, make sure you do something beautiful for the Lord. Thank you so much. And we will talk to you next time. Oh,